the man in black fled across the desert, and Geek Top 5 followed. Yeah. <laughs> Again with the... Man, the, you're, you've been confusing me. Yeah, it's just intros. <laughs> and, and you with the sounding so excited to be here. Yay! There you go. You're listening to Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're here to talk to you about the five coolest things that are happening in the world of geekdom right now. So, first on the list, number five, the way we do it, the trailer for The Dark Tower. Yeah, uh, as per our intro, that is, uh, so it was pretty big news from the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've heard about it for a while, you know, it's an adaptation or maybe sequel to the Stephen King novels. <laughs> yeah, complex. Right. The, his series, his, his magnum opus, uh, novels published from 1982 to 2004. It, it's essentially, if you said, what would happen if Stephen King wrote The Lord of the Rings? This is it. It's a big, grand adventure, but... It takes place sort of in contemporary times, but also in other worlds, and it is involves all his other fiction. Right. It's like this is the shared cinematic universe of Stephen King, essentially. Uh, very, very popular novels, a very cult following. They've been talking about doing movies and television shows, whatever they could forever. We finally got a good look at Again, I'm still tripping over it. Like at the movie, not the series. Yeah, so it's it, this is the the movie. It's uh, it's been in the works for a while. I think J.J. Abrams was involved at some point. The director that they finally settled on, his name is Nikolai Arcel or Arkel. I'm not sure how how you pronounce it. He, all his stuff on his IMDb is weird European stuff that uh, hasn't made much of an impact. So it's kind of cool that he's come out of nowhere and has uh, latched onto this property. Uh, we, it stars Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey, um, and it's got like a whole host of writers, including Akiva Goldsman, who has become a recurring figure on uh, Geek Top 5 lately, but best known uh, for writing uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, amongst other things. Well, he also won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. Right, which is probably, you go with best known. <laughs> I guess so. Maybe the should, one that won the Oscar. should lead with that, <laughs> yes. as opposed to Batman and Robin. Listen, we all, had to, we all have our Batman and Robins in our past. We all had to start somewhere. <laughs> and then we ended up at our beautiful minds. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful, Jesse. Right, it, it's the beautiful mind inside of us all. Uh, so what do we see in this trailer? Uh, we saw a lot of establishment of what this world is going to be like, which is interesting, because the way The Dark Tower was in- initially released is it left a lot up to... It it was very mysterious. Mm. It was very hard to interpret. Uh, Very quickly in the trailer, we see, okay, there's two worlds. There's our world and there's that world. And a lot of the focus sort of seems to be on the character from our world, on Jake, which is sort of a third book in the series thing rather than a first book. Like The first book of The Dark Tower is The Gunslinger. And it's all from from the perspective of The Gunslinger, from the character that Idris Elba will be playing. In the trailer, it looks like they're, I mean, yeah, it's a movie. They don't have that long to establish a very complicated, very mysterious narrative. So they've really brought it sort of down to basics. Right. And they're, they're starting with our world and crossover, which is fine. We still see a lot of the, the same stuff. We do see the tower. There's a big thing about the tower's beams, which in, in this one, it looks like they're actually like laser beams. There's actually, like, you can see a shot of the tower with, the, like, these big blue lights coming out of the side. It's like what they did with Lord of the Rings. Like, the eye of Sauron became a literal eye. Okay, so you're saying in the books, the beams are more figurative? Yeah, the, the Dark Tower holds, like, supports the world on its beams. Oh, And right. they're very metaphorical. Okay. And, and this one, it looks like they're, like, force fields. 
Right. But okay, that's fine. It looks like they're, they're trying to bring like they're trying to compress it into a movie, and I, I get that. It's the the writer of Batman and Robin. Subtlety isn't his forte. That's fair. <laughs> but we do see Idris Elba being a total badass yeah. as Roland Deschain doing his awesome gunplay. I, I was really taken with that. You know, it's like it's easy to to write a cool guy character. It's harder to pull it off without it seeming silly. Yeah. And he is so cool. In the trailer. And, I mean, he's perfect for that. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, his nemesis, the man in black, I don't Personally, I don't know. It's, it's t- Maybe it's just tough for me to divorce Matthew McConaughey from being uh, McConaughey. <laughs> but, but he had a McConaughey. Yeah. He was, he's, he's like a serious actor now. I, yeah, I suppose. Listen, I'm a huge Interstellar fan. Right. But even then, you know, that meme went around of like of him I mean, reacting to the video. Yeah, like, that's not his fault. That's not his fault, but it's just, it's hard to separate from it. Either way, that character in the books, like, yeah, he's pure evil and he's kind of a nutcase. So we do like that's carried across. It's I don't think it was as perfect a match okay. to the character as Idris Elba was for Roland. I I mean he he's not in the trailer that much, but I think he gets a decent amount of menace going. Mm-hmm. I thought the line in the trailer it was something like "Is he the devil?" and he goes "No, worse." I thought that was a little cheesy. Yeah, but you know yeah, what yeah, are you one, one do? of McConaughey's lines is like, "Did you tell him that I like everyone who travels with you I kill?" It's like okay, I get it. Yeah. They have to go with the least subtle stuff for the trailer. Right. But like I mean like at least like cut it off before he like threw his head back and made a maniacal cackle. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we mentioned it earlier, like we're seeing a lot of stuff sort of from the third book mixing with with the first. Uh, which is, of course, turns into one of those, you know, how close is it to the book and how does that matter? Like I mentioned before, I don't know, does McConaughey match the character? The thing with the Dark Tower is there are reasons that what we see on the screen here don't have to match what's in the book. For those of you who've read the books, we have seen hints of the Horn of Eld. We've, there was a tweet way back, and we see sometimes that maybe it looks like Roland's got something. If you've read The Dark Tower, you know what that means. If you haven't, and you just listen to this podcast, and you think I'm a nutcase, it's complicated, but there are reasons why things could change. And that alludes to what you were talking about before, that is this a retelling of the books, or is it kind of like a sequel, like a, like a continuation of the story? Yeah, I mean, in my reading about this, uh, there were some references to it being literally a sequel to the books, but then they also say, oh, and this stuff comes from books three and four. And it's like, well, how can it be a sequel if it's also adapting stuff? But I didn't want to spoil yeah. stuff. It's got seven big, thick Stephen King paperbacks to explain it. But it is pretty cool. In the meantime, let's move on. Number four on the list. Um, is this news? I mean, it's... it's. Well, I think about a year ago, they said, no, there aren't going to... Well, here, let's start yeah. <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> uh, supposedly, there's going to be some, at least a spinoff of Game of Thrones. There's four in development. We'll see how four many of Four spinoffs of yeah. Game of Thrones are in development. Now... I feel like that has made all the news, and rightly so. That's big news. But they haven't said there are going to be four spinoffs. Just that there's four in development. Maybe they'll just, like, kill off the ones that aren't Maybe working. it's a competition. Like, yeah. a last spinoff standing. Uh, Hunger the Games coming. of uh, Game of Thrones spinoffs, <laughs> if uh, you, you will. You just made a t-shirt right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Game of Thrones... Has in a way, in its own way, it has changed television a little. Ten years ago, the concept of television being a really high budget, really more you know, something you look forward to more than a movie, would be crazy. Mm-hmm. Now people look at television and see like, oh, this is better than the movies. 
and game the Game of Thrones model, by which I mean throwing a bleep ton of money at it, is what set that out. And now that Game of Thrones is coming to an end, I guess they want to go into that well. Yeah, I think HBO was, uh, you know, they, they had their, their heyday where they had all these great shows like The Sopranos and Deadwood and uh, a million shows. They were the, the kings of TV for a while. And then, you know, AMC and Showtime and all these other uh, networks started picking off the, the best TV shows and... and HBO was sort of left out in the cold until Game of Thrones came along and just brought all the focus back to them. So I can't blame them for wanting to uh, extend the pot of gold a little longer. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's not the first time we've seen spinoffs for television. Frasier was a spinoff, for God's sake. Mork and Mindy was a spinoff of Happy Days. There you go. <laughs> um, there's that Torchwood and Angel off of Doctor Who and Buffy. Like, there have been shows... Yeah. Like, yeah, there are spinoffs on TV. You're right. Announcing that there are four in development, I think, is what has got everyone a little yeah. curious. It's like, well, the the, the <laughs> just bleed that rock. <laughs> the the uh, options for a response seem to be either ecstatic or dread. You know, four spinoffs or four spinoffs. Well, because you got to think, like Game of Thrones, really, it like it's a lucky roll. Like it's a, it hits all these correct marks at the correct time. What are the chances of recapturing that again once, even four times? We've seen other shows try to jump on the Game of Thrones sort of model. Yeah. And nothing has really had that staying power or that impact that it has. Yeah, but, I mean, if anything's going to have a chance at recapturing that, it might as well be something set in the same world by the same people. Maybe. But so then, let's talk about that. Like, what could these spinoffs be? I mean, the obvious one is Duncan Egg, which is a series of short stories set in the world. I think they're about Daenerys's great grandfather. Yeah, the Aegon Targaryen. Yeah, and he's the he's like very little shot of getting to the throne, so he's just like a little kid who's trying to find his way in the world, and he squires for this knight who I think is uh, Duncan the Tall, and it's a, just a series of fun little adventures with them, and that. Now- but why is that the obvious one? Because it's the biggest, it, it's the closest thing to a spinoff that George R. R. Martin himself has done in the books. Ah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, so it's like a series of short stories done by George R. R. Martin, set in the same world, but not directly connected to the plot of the main world. Yeah, like it's far back enough that, yeah, it's a prequel, but it's okay. Yeah. Like, see, like my, like, you know, nightmare scenario is where they do the Roberts Rebellion show. Right. Where it's like, it's essentially the Phantom Menace of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Where, where they're handcuffed by everything that's gone immediately after it. Yeah, like we've already seen flashbacks in the show that take yeah. place during then. So having to write around that. And then it's like, do you bring Sean Bean back? To, and then, like, uh, that's the bad version of this. Yeah, and I suppose that's a possibility. I mean, it would, I guess it would be kind of cool, but it also feels very limited like there's a clear beginning end to it and we already know how it ends we already know how it begins so it feels like it's a pretty huge world spread your wings let's let's see some other parts of it mm-hmm. honestly i don't know what else what other options well i figure you talk about let's see some other parts of it i mean probably learning a little bit more about the white walkers and the night king do you care about probably that? A big deal. me no not in the least yeah. but i'm not a big game of thrones guy i mean but remember game of thrones starts well, A Song of Ice and Fire, right. starts with these cool winter zombies, and then we don't see them again for years. Yeah. Like, they've, they've developed it now, especially in the show, opposed to the books. Like, we've seen a lot of that, but that definitely seems to be, the like, the final boss. 
Yeah, but they're they're these like they're zombies, and then they're basically mute. I don't know, mute monsters that are 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 out there making people into these things. I don't I don't want to watch a whole show about them. Like, what are they going to do? Don't like, tell that to The Walking Dead. Sitcom, it's not <laughs> it, but that isn't a show where you're. It's from the zombies' perspective. Well, I'm not <laughs> saying it has to star the zombies. <laughs> but then what else? What's Game the of point? Thrones spinoff starring? But then and hard. I mean, I figure like, how did that big magic ice wall get built? You know, like what's that story? How did that start? What was the initial st- that kind I of thing? So. Maybe. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what all the options are, but I, I just can't see any that are going to Yeah, which is why the concept of there being four right. just bleh, yeah, causes me to lose my <laughs> English temporarily because I feel like there really isn't that much material there. I mean, one of the things that I read that would make the Duncan Egg stories seem like they would be a, a good uh, fit is that it would be sort of like the brand of Tarth... Uh, episodes where she's just sort of like wandering around and encountering people and you could do that with Duncan the Tall and Egg and they're just wandering around Westeros and having little adventures. It would so, be it's a like much... a, so it's like a buddy cop on a horse? Yeah, I, so it's a much smaller scale so they don't have to necessarily live up to that but I don't know if, if Game of Thrones fans want uh, more intimate stories. Yeah, I think one of the things about Game of Thrones is the spectacle. Right. right? They had that like Helm's Deep-esque sort of season finale. Like I think that's what people are looking for. They're looking for dragons and zombies. Right, uh, but I mean, if you go, if you go back in time, either there's zero dragons or there's way too many. So it's like it's a tough call, you know. You can never have too many dragons. <laughs> Let me. I'm going to tell you this right now. As a Skyrim veteran, as just uh, anyway, yeah, that's a whole other podcast, right? Point being, we don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe there's just like a competition, and they're going to pick one. But having the four, as yeah, the internet has gone crazy. Because it seems like they're, I mean, it's not even beating a dead horse. It's, yeah. like, what's I mean, the, what's the analogy point, for drilling so deep? Uh, going to the, journey to the center of the earth. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, it, it, go, go, journeying to the center of the earth through a well right. that's been tapped too much, too often, on a horse that dies that you beat up. If they do end up uh, doing this and having four full-fledged spinoffs, they might as well just change the initials of the station from HBO to GOT and just, you know, make it a Game of Thrones television I, uh, network. CBS All Access is doing The Good Wife and maybe Star Trek. Like, that works for them. Why not make HBO the Game of Thrones network? We'll see what they decide to do. Less cynical news. Um, surprise! There will be another Hellboy movie. Yeah, so we talked about this on an earlier episode where... It was uh, quite certain. They put it and said, yep, for sure, there will not be another Hellboy movie. Well, Guillermo del Toro said that. And he's the director <laughs> of the first two. And then Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy, and I, uh, what until recently I thought was like a close friend of Guillermo del Toro, he said, well, there won't be another Hellboy movie with you. <laughs> so, oh, et tu, Brute? Yeah, seriously, it was... Uh, it was a bit surprising, but he's he's followed through on his uh, threat or promise or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it depends what side of the thing you're on, I guess. Yeah. So they've announced they're going to do a, a hard R-rated Hellboy movie. The previous two movies were PG-13. Yeah, this is Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queen, Ooh, which spooky. you know is a little bit better than seeing Hellboy versus the scary evil bad. Yeah. So let's get a, a bit into the, the details of this 
series before we get into the news. So Hellboy was created by Mike Mignola. He wrote and drew most of it. But uh, there's like a spin-off series as well that's gone on for a long time. It's uh, very popular. It's one of the most popular indie books out there. He's he's a, a, a demon from hell who is brought to Earth by Nazi forces during World War II. As they did. Uh, but the Allies defeated the Nazis at that location and rescued Hellboy. And so he was raised by, you know, good old Americans. So he's on our side and he helped stop the, the evil creatures of the night that enter our, our world. So those first two movies, he was kind of like a... Like he, you know, like a hard-bitten cop, but who dealt with supernatural and demonic stuff instead of with, I don't know, the mob. Yeah, he which always, was great, and yeah. and really, Ron Perlman's portrayal was phenomenal. Yeah, there's, iconic. Perfect. Yeah, perfect casting. He's got the perfect voice. He he's loves the prosthetics. Well, I don't know if he loves the prosthetics, but it seems like ninety percent of his movie roles he's in prosthetics, so he looked great. Uh, so now they've announced, not only did they announce the director of this new movie, but also who's going to be playing Hellboy. So the director is Neil Marshall, who did my favorite horror movie, The Descent. Love that. He's also directed some episodes of Game of Thrones, tying into our last story. Mm. And it will star David Harbour from Stranger Things, who is the uh, the, the grumpy, police chief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, grumpy police chief. It's It seems like a decent fit, not quite as perfect as Ron Perlman, but... You know, not terrible. It's better than, like, David Hyde Pierce playing him or something. Well, okay, but David Hyde Pierce <laughs> played exactly the character he was supposed to play. Right. That's not a fair comparison. <laughs> What's that character's name? Abe Sapien. Abe Sapien. And he only did the voice and only in the first only one. Only in the first one, yeah. yeah. And it was noticeable when he wasn't there because his performance yeah, was brilliant. Right. Really great casting in that movie. How did they do yeah. that? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so we don't know too much about this one yet, but like you mentioned, it's they're going for the hard R because they want to make it more of a horror thing going to it. Which makes sense. If you've read the original comic books, there, there's definitely a horror bent to yeah, it. Yeah, PGing it definitely took some of the guts out of what makes it, uh, like, or maybe makes it its iconic yeah. feel of what that is. It made it a bit more of like a, like a, you were saying, sort of a cop film as opposed to a supernatural horror film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to be casting the Blood Queen as the villain. Like, okay, that's, yeah, you're probably going to have some R there. Um, I've never actually read any of uh, but apparently the, the Queen of Blood is a villain in the Hellboy series who's the Lady of the Lake gone mad. And, pretty cool. And she does one of those, like, tearing up people's hearts things. She's a right. horrible witch. So it sounds like there's going to be a lot of, like, a lot of gore horror. Yeah, which, sure. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, it, not everything has to be a Sundance Film Festival <laughs> horror movie. It, it, it can just be a fun adventure, but with that adult element to it. This is what we've talked about before, about... You know, people who want to see their like the things they love, but they've grown up now. Right. Want to see it with a little more, a little more oomph to it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, uh, the Hellboy comics were never exactly geared towards kids. Uh, you know, with few exceptions. But yeah. Generally, it's it's Hellboy. It's uh, the hell is in the title. It's not it's not tricking anyone. Boy is in the title too. Sure. It's not Hellman. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't have the same ring to it. Uh, I kind of like it. But that's anyway. I think that's a mayonnaise. Hellman? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, do you want to just move on? Let's just move on. <laughs> Number two on our list, uh, we saw a trailer and some gameplay footage for the new Battletech game that's coming out. 
All right, so we've talked about it before, but give us a little rundown again on Yeah, tabletop. 1984. It started as a tabletop game. Uh, it's essentially, if you mix Game of Thrones and Star Wars, but instead of the, the spaceships, you put in giant robots. That's it. Yeah, uh, but so after the tabletop game, they went into video games, and it's it's a it was a very different beast from the tabletop game because you know you're not controlling a bunch of pieces and moving them around a board. Yeah, you're piloting a giant robot. These, yeah. these are the Mech Warrior games. If you had a computer in the late twentieth century, you played one of the Mech Warrior games. You better have. Yeah, you got really if you. <laughs> Uh, we haven't seen the franchise for a while because there's been licensing disputes and it really hasn't been that popular. Um, but way back when, a, a group of guys that called themselves Hairbrain Schemes is the company, and Jordan Wiseman, the creator of BattleTech, said we want to make a, a, a we want to make a game again, and it got funded and it's being produced and the beta is coming up in June and we finally got to see some of it. So yes, there really is a game out there and it. Looks really cool. Yeah, it, it looks like it takes it back to the tabletop roots more than any of the other computer games have, as easily. far as I'm aware. Yeah. Like the closest thing was Mech Commander, but even that, you're still, you know, it's not turn-based, it's like real-time yeah, strategy. Mech Commander was a real-time strategy game, so yeah. it, it, with some tweaks, but still, you're fans of your Warcraft, your Command & Conquer, you've seen this before. This is a very turn-based strategic game, where you have your pieces, in this case your giant heavily armed robots, and play them against each other. Um, just that already is cool because we love Mech Warrior, we love BattleTech. Uh, but what they're doing in this game seems really interesting. So they're doing something really new. Um, the quick, quick version is you essentially have four categories of these battle mechs, so these big robots. Um, the, they're like they go from light to medium to heavy to assault. The light ones are very small and very fast and very nimble, and the assault ones are very slow and ponderous and super heavily armed. So what they're doing is that this is turn-based. So let's say I'm playing you, Graham. All right. You have your four guys, and I have my four guys. And you can pick, like, maybe I want to go all assault next because I want the most guns. But the turns, it doesn't just go you, me, you, me. There are phases. And the lighter and faster your mech is, like, the sooner it gets its turn to move, its phase to move. Okay. See, if that's the, clear. The phase stuff, when I was watching the video, the phase stuff was the part that confused me the most. I had the hardest time following that. So, like, essentially, if I've got two light mechs and two medium mechs, and you've got all assault mechs, I've got four moves before you can even get going. Okay. So this is done to, you know, correct kind of a flaw in the games, because, you know, when you're playing a computer game, you don't really want to... You know, you don't want to be the little light mech. You know, you, know, you, you want to be in the huge, towering, 100-ton Atlas. Yeah, you know? covered in missiles and machine guns and yeah. everything. So in the tabletop, in the strategy, yeah, there are reasons to have the light ones. There's you know, like, you know, spotting for targets, and you can get around behind somebody, that vulnerable rear armor. This game, the way they've designed it, it seems like they found a way to bring that in. And that's not something I've really seen in a game like this before. And I, I know my turn-based strategy. Yeah, I am not a fan of the turn-based strategy personally, but this uh, got me intrigued. Watching this video, watching it all in action, at first I was uh, I felt kind of intimidated. It, it seems so strategic. Yeah, there are a lot of options and a lot of things to consider. Mm -hmm. What weapons do you fire? What ranges are they effective? What consequences are there in terms of heat buildup, damage to your own guy? Where should it be positioned? What skills does the pilot have? Are yeah. those skills properly matched to the mech that they're driving? It's a lot to take in all at once. A lot of it is kind of common sense. They're the things like, like if you're standing in a river, then you can cool off faster. 
Right, but okay. I, I think but, I mean it's common in the the MechWarrior series of games. But the idea of your your weapons heating up and potentially damaging your own mech that I don't think is you, you don't see it that much. Very true. That that, that is a trope in yeah. that universe. So but, it's like it's one. You're not just watching your ammo. You also have to measure how often you shoot your lasers and things like that. It's like it's it's a very intense strategy yeah, it's, game. Yeah, it's, it's not very fast-paced, which I think was kind of the flaw in the later MechWarrior video games and why we don't see them as much these days, is they became very fast-paced, very action-y, very, like, they were almost first-person shooters, right? really. Whereas the fiction and the tabletop and all that about it, that these are slow, ponderous, you know, these are tanks with legs, essentially. The way they've designed this system, it kind of suits that, like, like what you're doing, it's not how fast you can throw yourself into cover, but it's have you planned ahead that you know you can make it to the cover and that this is available, which is a really cool development. It's uh, yeah, it looked like I said, very intense. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very thinking man's giant robots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, I, I'm interested to see some stuff with uh, with story elements. Uh, I, I also would like to get a sense of how long a mission takes because the the video that they posted was was just under an hour with a, a few minor edits in it, but that was just showing them starting in already set to go with the, each of them with their their team already set up. Like, how long does it take if you're going to spend time putting your mechs together, putting your team together before you even launch into a battle? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like a Magic: The Gathering draft. Okay. Like when people play Magic: The Gathering against each other, like the game usually only lasts like ten minutes. You play a card, roll your etc. But it's how you build your deck. Like before you come to the table, that's a big thing. In this case, the building your deck element is the which mechs do you choose and which pilots do you have, and then that sort of thing, which is a whole other like non gameplay element. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see more of that shortly, honestly, because the beta is out on June first, and we here at Geek Top Five have a beta access, so we'll give it a shot and we'll let you know how it is. But this is one you might want to keep on your radar. It looks super cool. Definitely. Number one. Yeah. Uh, it, number one, volume two. <laughs> uh, the past week we saw the, the release of Guardians of the Galaxy, volume two. Yeah, so the first one was easily one of the best Marvel movies to oh, come yeah. out so far. And breakout hit, right? Yeah. Like, of, like, of course people are going to go see the movie with Captain America in it. It's Captain, but, but who's heard of Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, even most uh, hardcore comic book fans couldn't tell you much about these characters before the movie came out. Very good movie. Phenomenal movie. Now we're on to the sequel. Made bank. Sequel's out. Um, Spoilers, because we're going to talk about this one. So, seriously, turn it off now if you haven't (laughs) seen it. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I'm I'm with you. I will say that I, I definitely think the first one was a more enjoyable film. I think this one had a better villain and a better... Story, maybe? Kind of. Like a deeper story? Yeah, it was surprising. This one did... It wasn't just a rehash of the first one. It it, it decided to do something very different. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one was really... It was sort of a fish-out-of-water adventure. This one dealt really heavily with character development and motivations, and there was a... With some of the characters, anyway. Mm -hmm. But then so much into Star-Lord and his relationship uh, with father-figure relationships and Gamora and Nebula and how they're getting along, and why is Rocket Raccoon such a jerk, and and then the Yankee Yondu into that story, and now we learn all these, these things about him. Him and so I loved Yondu. I liked him a lot in the so first one. Loved him in this one. It's just it's Michael Rourke, Michael Rooker, Michael Rooker, Michael Rooker 
phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and one of the funniest scenes in that movie is him and like where they're trying to get Groot to bring back the Finn, and it just keeps going. I, I gotta say, one of my favorite scenes it was when he's using, you know, he can control his this his arrows with his whistle, and so he's using it to sort of float down to this planet. And oh, Mary, Mary Poppins. I'm Mary Poppins, yeah. y'all. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. Now, that being said, I, I didn't love it. Why didn't I love it? I'm having trouble putting my finger on it, but I think... I feel like they tr- they took the Guardians of the Galaxy dial and turned it up way too high. Hmm. I think one of the charming parts of the first movie was these ridiculous characters in very not ridiculous situations. Like they're played off against what is essentially the Federation. Yeah. And the bad guy is a very typical, you know, Ronan the Accuser was a very typical evil bad guy. Yeah. Then he was up against these crazy Now now in this movie everyone's hilarious. Like, the bad guys, it's like, oh, they're chasing them with their drone ships, but it's a video arcade. You yeah. didn't like that? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, Star-Lord is our, like, like, he's our audience link to this world, and he does that through the 80s. Right. So, you know, like, there's, like, you know, Pac-Man plays a fun part during the climax. I it, was, was, it was a good joke. Okay. But I like that because that's Star-Lord. Yeah. The rest of the galaxy shouldn't be like that. You know, the, the bad guys shouldn't have... 8-bit like, video game noises on their drone controllers. Yeah. And, you know, they blow up the last one. Like, they have the one guy who's left, and they're urging him on to kill the Guardians of the Galaxy, and he loses. And they, oh, typical. You suck, Blor- Blorlax. <laughs> Whatever. It's like, like, okay, not everyone is supposed to be a funny Earth person from the 80s. Right, but I kind of... The thing about it that I think uh, where it suffered was, was the bloat. Like, things like that... Where things went on just a little too long. Like, we learned, we probably learned too much about the Sovereign and, and that group yeah. of people. Yeah, for people who are supposed to sort of be the B-villains, they're in yeah. that movie for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one scene that really comes to mind is uh, Star-Lord and Gamora have had sort of a fight, and Gamora goes off, and she's just sitting there for a while, and then she cuts this weed for some reason, and then, then Nebula crashes down behind her. And it's just like... This movie's really long, and, like, this isn't necessary. This isn't giving us anything. Yeah, we know she's upset. Yeah. So there are things like that where I think they could have tightened it up a little bit. But that was it. Yeah, I think those it are all relatively for, yeah, minor. Those are, I mean, I stand by my the universe should be less funny argument. But, yeah, the rest of it are a lot of little nitpicks. And the reason we nitpick is because the rest of it is so much fun. Yeah. is because it's a place we love being. We love being around those characters. And it's wonderful what happens to them. We already mentioned the spoilers tag. I was so upset when they killed Yondu. Yeah. I just, I mean, for tons of reasons, but just because, I mean, this has such a wonderful character. He's so much fun. Every second he's on the screen, even in the first movie, he's a blast. Yeah, and in the first movie, it felt sort of, I, I was surprised how much I liked him, because he seemed like he should just be like a generic kind of bad guy, but he had this heart to him. That was undeniable, and in this they expand that even more, and they explain his relationship with Peter really well. Okay, so let's talk quickly about the the, the end credit scenes. Uh, okay, we got to stop doing. For starters, we have to stop doing end credit scenes. It's really irritating. It's not we irritating. Espe- I love the end credit scenes. Yeah, uh, I don't want to have to sit and wait through the credits. So people want to clean the theater. For God's sake, they got another show coming. They can clean underneath my feet. And we got to do that, and we definitely have to not do five of them. Yes, the five was a little... Uh, yeah, and a couple a of much. them were setting up new stuff. A couple of them were really just gags. Yeah. And you know what? These movies come with a gag reel when they're released. Like, if, it, if you couldn't fit the joke into the movie, maybe the joke shouldn't be there. Fair enough. 
I, I agree five is a, a little much, but the, the scene where they, they introduce the cocoon with, with Adam, with Adam yeah, who which, will be Adam Warlock, who will be important later on and should be important in the fight against Thanos. And yeah. Go is, following the comic books. Which is a weird but, twist. That's, yeah, that's Vision now, so who yeah. knows what Adam Warlock will do. But, but yeah, but that was there, so that's cool. And you know, they used one of those scenes to bring Sylvester Stallone in the crew. Maybe that means they're going to be around more, so that's introduced. And we got uh, the... Uh, Bit of an extra Stanley teaser or like cameo with him and with the Watchers, Watchers. which I love, love that. Any any chance to see the Watchers, I'll, I'll sign up for. Any time to see Stan Lee, I'll sign up yeah, for. And, and the fact that St- like, of course Stan Lee would be talking to the Watchers, yeah, and boring just... them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we I I liked the first one better. But this was a fun movie. It was worth the price of my theater admission. And what theater tickets cost these days? Yeah. That's yeah, that's saying something. I. I guess the last thing I want to say about it is the Kurt Russell uh, stuff. He was great. He was we, great. We didn't touch on him at all, but there was stuff at the beginning where you see him as a young man, and we're seeing that more and more in movies where they take uh, an older actor and, and youthify him like they did with Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War and, uh, I don't know, everyone lately. But I thought the way they did it with him looked so natural. He looked pretty good. And I was reading about uh, a bit of it online, and a lot of it was just prosthetics and makeup. It wasn't even a computer effect. I think I think one of the ways it worked so well was that he was mainly wearing sunglasses, so he didn't see yeah, his eyes. that helped that a lot. That helped a lot. <laughs> but his face, everything about him seemed so young. Yeah, it, was it was a really great. cool effect in a yeah. time when like CG character stuff is being very hotly debated. Yeah. And you're right, we didn't touch on it because we're taking this opportunity to point out what we didn't like. We didn't talk about Kurt Russell because he was phenomenal. Sure. He was yeah. great. And he, his relationship with Chris Pratt was great. The way those actors bounced off each other yeah. was a joy. And the, the, the way he, his little sort of semi-throwaway line that ignited the final battle was, was so well delivered and so well received. Loved it. Loved it. any case, we're out of time. This has been Geek Top 5, so please stay tuned. We'll be right back with our next segment. Okay, we're back with the second half of this week's episode of Geek Top 5. This week, we've got Joel Colesbury with us. The return of Joel. Yes. Joel Strikes Back. Yeah, oh, I like that. Okay. Was a, always a pleasure. And he's brought a list of the, the top five reasons Grand Admiral Thrawn is such a great villain. Now, to the uninitiated, Grand Admiral Thrawn is probably the best-known Star Wars villain who isn't in any of the movies. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Spoilers for the original <laughs> Thrawn trilogy. Spoilers for Rebels Season 3. Spoilers for the new Thrawn novel. This was um, 1991. There are no more Star Wars movies and very little Star Wars products, and author Timothy Zahn released his trilogy of novels. That They're amongst the first Star Wars novels that are like approved by Lucasfilm. And, and not even amongst, the first ones that were any good. Okay. They're, they're all New York, New York Times bestsellers. Like, these are actually really good. For those of us growing up in the late 80s, 90s, these were the next three Star Wars movies. And the big baddie in them was Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah, they were the first ones that I read. And I don't remember why or how I came across them. It was probably around when I first started watching Star Wars, which I know was in grade four. And uh, because our teacher loaned us the, the movies. And I just it's wanted to... Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. And I just wanted to, like, get whatever I could. And I think I was just, you know, able to comprehend novels at that point. So... What is it about Thrawn that makes him 
what made made him stand out as a villain as opposed to the other villain of that series of novels, Joris Sabaoth? Oh yeah. Well, and, and you, um, hmm, well, he was crazy. If you if you recall, a little nuts with the double U's in his name. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say that name again for the rest of the podcast. Yeah, it's impo- it's impossible to pronounce, and he was just so like he he was an old crazy dark Jedi. Woo. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thrawn was di- was different. Thrawn was a type of character we hadn't seen in Star Wars before because up to that point, you all the bad guys were monsters, people who were monsters like Vader, and incompetent bureaucrats. Right. You know the Moff's Council and etc. Um, Ruled by fear instead of respect. Yeah. No. Yeah. Whereas Thrawn was someone that like this wasn't a problem you could solve by flying a faster ship or swinging a better lightsaber. Like, Thrawn is evil alien Sherlock Holmes. Thrawn had the most staying power. Everyone yeah. loved that idea. His stuff, like everything else, when Disney took over, was you know, became legends and not part of the canon, but he got reintroduced last year. Thrawn now was the major antagonist in the Star Wars Rebels cartoon show in the last season, uh, in the second half of 2016, and he just had a new, sort of, new novel released. New novel that covers a lot of old ground, bringing a lot of his origin stuff back into the canon. Okay. So Thrawn's back. Right. And people have loved him enough that Disney said, yeah, let's do this. And, and it was it was nice to hear, um, uh, to have Timothy Zahn come back to do it properly. and Or not properly, but to do it officially uh, again. And But you know, to, to why he has the staying power, though, because I, I think it had to do with, he, he was mysterious. And uh, like... He, in the original trilogy, we never heard, saw the story from his point of view. It was always from Pellion's point of view. And he had this way about him that, that like you said, nobody else had at the time. But it, I don't know. There was something about him that captured the imagination. So let's, let's go into it. The, you know, the, the, if we want to find out why is he such a cool character, these are the top five reasons why. Okay, so what's number five, Joel? Yeah. He was not a politician. Which, again, comes back to that Moth Council thing, which was rare. Every, well, everybody since, I remember all the other villains tended to be more like bureaucrats who had a title as opposed to um, who, somebody who was actually a strong military leader who could, who could not only command but inspire people to follow him out of, out of loyalty as opposed to out of fear. Yeah, it's hard to make that a bad guy. So you have all the Imperial Admirals at Hoth, and they're just getting bumped off one by one every time they screw something up and Vader gets ticked off. Yeah, and then you have um, people who aren't really... Like Tarkin, where did he fit in? He wasn't a military commander. He was more of a civilian-type commander. Well, that's... I mean, it, the, 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 that's in canon. That's complicated. But yeah, but, like, <laughs> well, exactly. but Tarkin was like a mean high school principal. But the point, yeah, but it's yeah. complicated. That sort of... Where where it's going as to what their specific uh... so like with Tarkin he dabbled in politics and and was trying to be a military leader as well as sort of controlling but he didn't give the impression the like the reason he was in charge is because he was scary and mean right like he just you know just bad guy capital B capital G whereas Thrawn like he he took power right he's he well not took power, well but he, in this case he earned it what we're saying is that yeah he isn't he isn't scummy about it right. You know, like, the only way to get power in Star Wars is to be a Jedi, you know, and throw people into walls and stuff, or just to be a jerk. And, you know, it, once you have that, the you know, the golden ratio, Palpatine was both. Right. But, like, the bad guys are always 
like we don't like politicians as people, and that comes through in our depiction of villains. Thrawn's not like that, and we see in the new novel he very he doesn't get politics. Like he's smart, but he's like, why would you waste your time on this stupid jockeying for position instead of just doing what needs to be done? Well, I feel like I've. What, trip, what was tripping me up is that I felt like I was arguing for a military dictator. <laughs> like, that's why this, it's like everything that I was saying is like, yes, he's good because he's a military leader and that's how he's leading the thing with ruthless efficiency. And I'm thinking, well, now that's, no, that maybe that's not really a quality I want to uh, <laughs> really throw yeah. out there. Well, again, he's not a good guy. Right? No. He's a bad guy. No. But, but I think he's, he's more ambiguous in the new canon than he was in the old canon. He has a goal and, and he sees the Empire uh, as a means to an end as opposed to in the Legends or EU where he was, he was a little more ruthless, I think, and a little more, I want to impose my will on the galaxy. Fair enough. I can accept that. I mean, I know you're, you're sort of like letting us super dorks handle this, but you read the, the trilogy recently. Like, yeah, like, the like, original I, trilogy. Like, I know one of the things I noticed is that you never see him, like, he's definitely in charge of the fleets, but you never see him, like, running a government. Yeah, he's not He's not going down to planets or, or going to a, a senate and appeasing people and being like, hey, we're going to help your economy out. He's always just focused strictly on conquest and and being the military face of the empire and i guess i mean the empire is at least from everything we've seen pretty much a military dictatorship so having a, him be the military leader makes him essentially the leader of the the empire at that point mm-hmm. right yeah so in no so to joel to your point like no it doesn't make him a good person <laughs> yeah no, no, that's true but he's just the, the all the games that get played yeah. With it, well, my family is really, you know, really influential, and they're going to assure my promotion. He's just well, that doesn't make. He, he just ignores it. it. It's almost like saying he's honest. He's, yeah, politically he's, speaking, well, or to the point. He's he's a, he's a straight shooter. Yeah, as you, they say. Yeah. what you see is what you get. Right? Like he's he's not going to play games with you if he thinks you did something wrong and you can't account for it. That's it. But if you have a reasonable explanation, then he's going to forgive you, or at least give you another chance, which is oh. something I liked about him. Well, yeah, and, and I think I know what you're talking about in the book. Yeah. With the uh, incident involving the tractor beam. and Oh, both of them, right, yeah. Yeah, what, like, there were two, right. Yeah. Yeah, one guy screws up with the tractor beam, like, he, he puts it down like, yeah, he was taught he should have known what to do and he didn't, and Thrawn has him killed. And the other guy is basically in a no-win scenario, it comes up with kind of a cool idea that doesn't work, and Thrawn Hail Mary that doesn't work, and yeah. Thrawn's like, "I like the cut of your jib." Yeah, and he gets like, a promotion. The other guy, he blamed his trainer, I think, for saying, "Yeah," and he's like, "Well, I wasn't shown how to do this." <laughs> it's a very common. I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to number four on your list here. Now, this one seems to be... This one's over my head, because mainly... Well, your example, I think, is from the new book. It right? is from the new book. Mm-hmm. It is from the new book. Yeah. One of the His main antagonist in the book is uh, Night Swan. He, even though they were on the opposite side, they he respected him. Uh, and uh, this, this Night Swan person... And for my sake, this so the book is from Thrawn's perspective. So is the villain of the book a rebel? In yeah. a sense, it's very early on in the canon, so he's a pre-rebel. Yes, uh, true. 
True, and he's well. It's at Baton, I think, or Baton, however <laughs> it's pronounced. And uh, the first time we see Thrawn in Rebels, they comment on how he's been promoted, and it was from this incident. It was from defeating uh, Night Swan. But uh, throughout the entire book, the Night Swan's in the background, and Thrawn's sort of unraveling his whole plan. And they, but he respects him for his for his abilities and to a certain extent, offers him a job at some point uh, because he likes him so much. Yeah, like if you carry on the metaphor of Thrawn being evil Sherlock Holmes, Night Swan is presented as his Moriarty. At one point, Thrawn even calls him like a consulting criminal, uh, to, you know, bar- borrowing the phrase from the BBC Sherlock. Like Night Swan starts off just a clever guy who helps these smuggling groups and pirate groups come up with cool ways to get around the Empire. But that kind of ties in his personality to the original and promoting second tractor beam fellow um, right. for yeah. for something that, you know, he's like, I appreciate your thinking. But yeah, it's not just Night Swan. We see that a lot where Thrawn, I mean, one of the big things about Thrawn we'll get into is he, like, he takes the time to learn about his opponents or to learn about his challenges. And compared, again, to the classic Star Wars villains where it's all rebel scum. Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons that the you know, Skywalker and Solo crew are constantly able to succeed is because they're constantly underestimated. Right. Thrawn doesn't underestimate you. He can see what you're doing. Hey, that was cool. This person is going to do this. This person has a history of doing that. There's always a... I, I'm trying to find a synonym for respect, but yeah, it's respect. And he, like you said in the original, he gives that to Garm Iblis a lot. We even see that he has a few complimentary things to say about Admiral Akbar in the books. Right. Now... He's taking the opportunity to set Akbar up, and he's you know, trying to defeat him. But he he tells people like, "Well, hold on, this is Admiral Akbar. He knows what he's doing. He's been fighting for a long time. Let's, you know, let's not come down on him just because he's a rebel or an alien or any of these things that people in the Empire usually use to judge the good guys." So, shall we move on to number three? His calm and cool demeanor in his, in his overall character. I, I always think that's more scary. Than, yeah. than anything else. Yeah, like, the best villains are the ones who aren't yelling and who aren't screaming. They're, yeah. they're the ones who are cool cucumbers. I don't know that I would like, say the best villains are like that, but it is definitely in the, you know, a, a great trait and great villains. But there are some great screamy <laughs> villains, like the Green Goblin and Joker and stuff. Yeah, but the Joker, <laughs> when he's you know laughing maniacally and burning things, he's scary. But when he's talking to you, like the, you know, you, you want to know how I got these scars? Yeah. That's a lot scarier. All right. Yeah. Or when I, when you misbehave and your mom's yelling at you, that's one thing. But then when your mom's just like, go to your room, that you, you know that it's so much worse. You, you get the full name. It's, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it's, no, it's, but it is, it's that, it's, it, it's, but he did lose it sometimes. Or at least he did in Rebels once. He lost his veneer, as it were. But hmm. I think well, but that... like Sabaoth does that too in the classics. Thrawn is like, especially as Sabaoth gets more powerful, Thrawn is constantly like biting his lip and taking a deep breath. But he never, like, he never uh, snaps. Yeah. But like you can tell, like if like if George R. R. Martin was writing it, he would be writing about the the forehead vein yeah. throbbing. <laughs> oh, the forehead vein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Thrawn is. Very calm, very cool at all times. Even when, like, even when he's tossed the dice, 
You know, like some like some when his plans are going, and it's like maybe this will work, maybe it won't. So I was just patiently waiting for the next thing. That is a lot different than just having someone yelling and threatening to kill you. Makes me think of classic art of war: delay until you until you have them where you want them. That was like like one of the main things. I remember that from Shogun. <laughs> uh, that it was all about delaying, and that's how, you know, that, that's a whole other thing. Revenge is a dish best served cold. It's an old Klingon proverb. It is it? a Klingon proverb. But actually, I think it's funny. <laughs> when I think about Thrawn I th- and his character and, and the kind of leader, uh, military leader that he is, I think about these classics. Like, I compare him to uh, Shogun and and things like that. And, or, or even, it's, he's, he's almost like a Shakespearean villain. He seems like a, he, he almost seems like a Caesar to me. I think that comes through a lot at the at Sluivan in the first Heir to the Empire book. Like he's gone through this really complicated Sherlockian plan to steal a bunch of rebel ships, and it gets foiled by the heroes. And he goes, "Oh well, okay, let's go." And Pelion looks at him, kind of what? He's like, "Oh, sorry. Would you rather if I rate? Like, should I be really mad and we'll waste a bunch of ships in a battle we can't win? No, we lost this one. We'll, we'll come back another time." Which is a great attribute for for a villain, you know. I find so often you'll have a character like that who who is smart and doesn't waste energy, doesn't waste time until he ha- there, there's a fight at the end, and then he just all that goes out the window, and and it's just because they have to end the story. With this character, he never reached that point, you know. He was always smart about yeah, and, he, and he always had something else going. Like, yeah. Okay, we've lost the battle, but not the war. It's going to be okay. We'll move on. Exactly. Put another quarter in. It, yeah. And, it, it's, and it's kind of spooky because from the hero's perspective, it's like, well, in that case, did you really beat him? Yeah. Like, well, it's interesting. I, I watched some clips from the, the Rebels cartoon series with him, and we've heard his, his voice in other material before, whether it's audio books or, or in some of the video games. But one of the things I liked about his delivery in, the, uh, in Rebels was he almost sounded like he was about to fall asleep in, in the clips I saw. And it was just this, he was so calm and so reserved. His hissed. voice, yeah. He hissed. It was like a, it was like a, like a slick, he's a, he's a slick guy. You know, like you had a to like serpent. lean in to hear it all. And you were always waiting just to hear what that, what the last word's it, it, gonna be. It's kind of like a teacher on the last day of school, almost. <laughs> that voice actor, by the way, Lars Mickelson, uh, Mad Mickelson, Mads Mickelson? Not Mads sure how that Mikkelsen, was pronounced, yeah. but yeah. Mads so he, he's the famous actor, and I guess Lars was also doing a little bit yeah. on the side. But yeah, that that performance is phenomenal. A little different from the way we've heard the voice before, but I like it. Spooky. All right, well, let's move on. So what's number um, two on the list? Appreciation of art. <laughs> yeah, this is... I, I admittedly, I, I love Thrawn. That's like, of the collection of fictional characters who are sort of like father figures to me, he's in there. Well, that's scary. But, that is, that is. Yeah. But I find the art thing to be a little much. What we're referring to is that Thrawn's gimmick, essentially, is that... It, be- you're right, it is a gimmick, too. It's not a superpower. It's, yeah. it's a gimmick. It's his thing, it's is that gimmick. he's so intelligent and so, like, piercing in his intellect that he understands people and entire species based on their art. And from studying their art... He learns about their psychology and how to expose psychological blind spots. Yeah. Which is so cool. Like, that's a really cool villain thing. It's a little hard to... Like, I can suspend disbelief for it, but... I love that. All right, what's, what, are your, what are your thoughts on it, Joel? I just... I don't know. I've made, I, I'm not, I'm not a, very knowledgeable on art, but I like to pretend that I am. <laughs> and I, in my head... 
you know, I pretend that I'm very knowledgeable and it's probably the one gimmick, I almost called it a superpower, that he has that I would want most of all to be able to look at someone's art and then be able to psychologically and emotionally dismantle them. But one of the things I like about it is it's not like he just can pick up a painting and be like, ah, oh, well, I figured it out. He's always studying, you know? It's not an instant connection. He's Yeah, whenever Pelion walks into his, like, like the, the captain's ready room, yeah. he always has it, like, as a holographic, yeah, art, holographic museum. art museum. And he's yeah. right, looking at and he's spending all this time studying all the every, like, sculptures and paintings and what have you. Yeah, it makes me feel better for not being more creative, because I think to myself, if I ever have a nemesis like Thrawn... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> because he did have some Akbar art, because Akbar dabbled in painting, I believe painting, although I don't see how that works underwater. But he did make <laughs> watercolors. Did, yeah. Ah, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> but he did have Akbar's art, and so I mean, I can take comfort knowing that there's no Joel art out there. That's fair. <laughs> but that this comes up all the time in the novels. It's like the first thing we ever see of him. Like show how cool he is. Is he like he gets attacked by a bunch of rebels? And he figures out through their like behavior that it's a it's an Eloman, I think, is a species we don't know much about. He says like, "Oh yeah, I've studied the Eloman. They're not going to be able to handle this specific attack thing, right? Because it doesn't." Yeah, something about the, the way they their psychology they can't understand what's going to happen here. And he, you know, it's like four against one, and he beats all their ships. And then he's constantly there's a species where through their art he feels he realizes that as a species they have this great fear of the unknown. Like, of, of the impossible. And so he essentially fakes a super weapon, like something that couldn't ha- possibly happen, and it throws them into such a panic that he forces them to surrender. That's his thing. Right, I, that was the, the shield, the cloaked ships in yeah, the shield? Yeah, okay. he cloaks a ship and puts it over the... And so they raise their shield, but the cloaked ship is under it. So they shoot at the shield, and the shot doesn't get through, but the ship under the shield shoots, shoots at, at the, the same exact same time. Right. So it looks like the laser goes right through the shield. All right, all right. Okay, that's pretty cool. Guile. He was using his guile and his cunning. And apparently he figured out that would work just because of their art. Which, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I don't know. You, I mean, yes, as always, you've made a valid point. Um, <laughs> Thank you. That was, <laughs> I'm going to put that one on my business card. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to me, I mean, also as a reader, I think that it was used as, also as a tool just to show his intellect in addition to his strategy, I mean, because you can be a good battle commander, but he also was subtle and and had finesse. And mm-hmm. I think that that showed that not only was he really smart and and uh, with tactics, but he was a brilliant person in and more than just military. I think that's something we don't see a lot of in fiction. A lot of times, you know, Captain Kirk just is flying by the seat of his pants and, and winning battles with, like... Just n- no preparation. He just goes in, he shoots some things, he woos some ladies, and he wins the day. Thrawn is sitting there and studying and thinking, and th- that is shown in the books. And not in a boring way, because that sounds like it could be a little boring to read. But Yeah, we get the impression that uh, yeah, he's not just, you know, oh, he's strong with the Force. Right. It's No, he's worked at this. Yeah. He's dedicated himself to it. And we see through some of his journal entries, like in the new novel... He's, you know, he's essentially writing his version of Sun Tzu's Art of War. He's saying, like, these are the things that you have to consider. And these are the things that are important. And you can never... Like, he says... Like, the line is something like, military leadership isn't an end goal. It's always a learning experience. It's mm. always about developing. It's always... About, you, can't, you can't just sit in your haunches. 
And yeah, so you're yeah, so it's about showing how smart he is, even if it's a little hard to believe. Well, right, do you not like art? <laughs> I, I I don't have an appreciation for art and the way you would the way you would describe. Yeah, I won't. So I don't not like fine art. I don't spend a lot of free time like at you know at the art gallery. Oh, um, no, well, neither do I. But I always think I know that I should. I know uh, that I should because Thrawn did. Yes, if Thrawn exactly. did it, it must be awesome. <laughs> exactly. All right. So exactly. let's see what uh, what number mm-hmm. one is. What's the what's the big one for you, Joel? Well, we've touched on it throughout this whole thing because it really is fundamental to. Grand Admiral Thrawn, and that's his military strategy. And you, well, you just gave one of my favorite examples with the shields and the uh, and, and the cloaked ship. But then another one from uh, from the original trilogy is the asteroids. Uh, oh, the, the cloaked asteroids. The cloaked yeah. asteroids, or were there? Because they could, they didn't have that many asteroids, but they pretended. To yeah. launch the asteroids. That was pretty cool. And uh, and 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 the the silly Imperial regular commanders are like, "Why are we breaking our ships, shooting these tractor beams?" And so they didn't get it. But which is always another conceit. Like Thrawn never tells anyone <laughs> what his plan is, so that we in the audience are surprised. Mm. But all the other like his captains and aides are always like, "What are what what's going on?" <laughs> and Thrawn's always just patience. But I think there is there might be like a reason for that because in those books he's got spy stuff around the rebels so he or I guess the new republic oh yes the plants so he knows the plants yeah so he he knows that he's got spies or, or the ability to listen in on their plans so maybe he just likes to keep his biggest plans just to himself well yeah we know he's keeping like his biggest cards are always close to his right. chest he doesn't want anyone to know what his end goals are so explain yeah, the plants but- again. Well, yeah, I believe that he had magic plants that uh, <laughs> magic. the Chihala plants. They they weren't magic. They 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 were science, and they listened in the hallways to the, in the in the in the Imperial Palace, in which the, the New Republic Palace. takes over in the in the old before canon. Right, these plants react to sound. And it's very like it's very pretty. Like when a sound wave hits them, they change color, and it's oh, isn't that pretty? What a great plant. But that means organically they can distinguish sounds. Mm-hmm. And he's set up these like organic microphones, essentially, <laughs> using these plants that are in enemy headquarters. I just love, uh, it's like, there's, uh, it's just a wonderful example of uh, MacGuffins. That's, that would have been a great list. I should have done that. I should have done <laughs> the top five Thrawn MacGuffins. So it's plants that react to sound that can be used for microphones mm-hmm. so that Thrawn can have a brilliant way to spy on the rebels the the similarity would also be on there the the force, force canceling yeah. but that's doing things. him a disservice and some of the plans that. some of the plans like are genuinely plans and not MacGuffins. right the the new novel he does a thing the it's an uh, the the at rebel base is an island with a big shield over it and they're like they lower the shield just long enough to shoot up into the sky and put the shield back up oh. and the first admiral who goes for it blows it so Thrawn sets up. First, he has his corvettes like take, like sit in between the star destroyer and the planet in the path of the guns, so they can't hit his star destroyer. And then it's like, well, how are you going to shoot through the shield? He goes, I'm not. He shoots like orbital bombardment shoots the ocean and causes a tidal wave yeah, that floods the base. <laughs> I've like, noted that 
Like that, I've, I <laughs> just I in case you're that. ever in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm thinking just you know if I ever need to come up with it, I'm in a situation I need to impress some people. I'll be like, let's cause a tsunami. <laughs> but that's it, like that's the thinking outside the box, right? The empire is such a like it, it's such a heavy hammer. Like, yeah. Whenever we see them, their solution to the problem is more star destroyers and more guns and shoot them more. Right? That's how the Death Star happened. Not a big enough gun to blow up the entire planet. Yeah. Thrawn, Which Thrawn did not approve of. No, he didn't. He, he, he <laughs> thought that that was an inflexible way to run a star fleet. All right. Now, I, I have to be devil's advocate here. I read these books recently, so I didn't have the, the shiny, rose-colored glasses of childhood <laughs> okay. on while I was reading them. Uh, I found him a little disappointing <laughs> because the Rebels always had a, a way to beat him, or at least the main characters, like Luke and Han. Well, yeah, and, Luke and Han beat Darth Vader all the time, too. Darth Vader does nothing through the they, first Star Wars movie but fail at everything he constantly. He kills Obi-Wan. He <laughs> made him more powerful than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. But I, Star Wars I starts... quite a bit. <laughs> Star Wars starts... He li- it was good. Thank he, you. He, he's <laughs> gonna get, like, he's, takes Princess Leia's ship to get the Death Star plans. Oh, the Death Star plans aren't in the main computer. Fail. Oh, she must have put them in the escape pod. Send our crack troops from our flagship to get the... Fail. Mm-hmm. Interrogate this rich, spoiled teenager to find the location of her rebel base. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, her resistance to the mine probe is considerable. Fail. Darth Vader does... Da- he's supposed okay. to protect a two-meter <laughs> exhaust port. The exhaust port is only two meters wide and ray-shielded. If he had sat in a couch in the exhaust port and caught up on his, like, Empire book, everything would have been fine. Failed. Okay, but like, but nobody... That was devastating. <laughs> nobody ever calls Darth Vader a brilliant military mm-hmm. tactician. They just call him, like, a scary wizard guy, right? Thrawn is supposed to be this brilliant military tactician. He has all these opportunities to catch Luke. It doesn't work. Leia slips right through his fingers. It just... He had... All these opportunities, he never got any real wins over our heroes. He has wins, he doesn't have them over the heroes, because the heroes are heroes. Right, but but I feel like it might have been a stronger series of novels if there were points where you were like, man, Thrawn really might win this. But I never felt that. I was always like, you know, Luke keeps getting away from him, keeps beating his troops, keeps beating Thrawn over and over again. But they spend that whole trilogy losing. He they, does like he, you know they, like, they spend the whole second book looking for the lost fleet, yeah. and they finally yeah, find the, the lost Canada fleet. Team. And it's yeah. oh, by the way, there's only twenty ships yeah. left. Too he late. got the he got the other two hundred. Yeah, and he had he could staff them, and yet yeah, and he yes. was able to staff them. Uh, well, I. I uh, he always had. <laughs> like, he always has I these. A nickel for every time I heard that. Right. <laughs> he always has these cool plans. Yeah, the heroes always beat him because they're the heroes. The rebels yeah. are, or the but, rebels. Look at me. The the our heroes <laughs> and the New Republic. They're it's more of a Dunkirk type victory, not a not a you know it's it's it, they they strategically retreat and they it's like yeah we got away with our we, we got away with it from him and it wasn't really like. They necessarily beat him. I would like to propose that Talon Card is the more interesting character from those those novels. That might be another podcast, though. (laughs) Talon Card and Mara Jade both deserve their own. Both of them not quite reintroduced into canon yet, by the way. Right. I don't don't have high hopes for Mm -hmm. Talon Card because I feel like they've got like Hondo. 
True for uh, for that, and he, uh, I love Hondo. Hondo Anaka is great. Again, um, that's another podcast. Yes. <laughs> no, Thrawn has really cool stuff. What I'm getting at with the cloaking device is like, well, so you can't cloak a ship like in Star Trek because you can't see out the cloak. Like the cloak is two way. So he cloaks a cargo bay in a freighter and sneaks a bunch of TIE fighters into a base. Like, that's his thing. Mm-hmm. It's cool things you won't expect. Yeah, he doesn't kill Luke Skywalker. Because he's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. He doesn't even slow him down. He slows him down. Oh, I guess so. He leaves, but... like, the second half of that whole first book is the first his X-Wing is stranded, and then he's captured by the smugglers, and he wins over the smugglers, but the smugglers can't quite, because now there's Thrawn's there, and he knows something is yeah, up. And are you, it's like the Force, like, that's not a good answer. <laughs> especially when there's That's force. not a good answer. It's, it's the only answer <laughs> in Star, Star Wars. Wars. From yeah. Luke, especially. Yeah. Yeah. He's the guy. I mean, he, the Force was with him, I think. I, Except in those force-canceling bubbles put out by the Yasimilari. Which, again, we're hoping it doesn't go, get re-canonized either, but... Well, well but... Yeah. But yeah, so he, you're right. He loses in the end. All the bad guys lose in the end in Star I'm Wars. I'm not saying he lost in the end. He lost them all the way through. But he didn't get defeated by the rebels. It was his hubris. It was himself. He gets he gets betrayed by because he he was trying to pull that that uh, indentured servitude mm. crap. He, with, uh, he, the no he is winning, and in that trilogy, he is winning until he gets stabbed. Right. He's winning. He's taking back systems. He's taking over planets. He's winning the war. He was like the and Ken Jennings of Star Wars, you know, the, the Jeopardy guy. And it's like, <laughs> it's just not, it, it, but it's, it's a case of, it's not like he was defeated. He just, he lost, but they didn't defeat him. He just, he lost because he, he, for, he didn't take into account one thing. And then one factor, his bodyguard, kills him. Just like Ken Jennings. Just like Ken Jennings, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where he just, he didn't, he didn't he, the other person who finally won didn't beat him. He just lost finally because he missed something. That's fair. Okay. So, so later, in any case, yeah. in any case Thrawn is back. He's still awesome. You can catch him. We said like the most recent season three of Star Wars Rebels and probably season four. Spoiler alert, he doesn't lose at the end, Graham. <laughs> but, but he's also got it in the new novel came out last month by Timothy Zahn, creatively titled Thrawn. Thrawn. It's yes. pretty good. It's, it, it's not my favorite Star Wars book, but it's pretty good. Thank you for coming back, Joel. It's always a blast to have someone to talk about Star Wars with. It just sucks that we have to cram it into so short a time. I feel like we could do this forever. Probably. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Special thanks to Joel for coming out for us. Special thanks to our crew, Ben Sound, Stella Simeonova, for putting this all together and getting it to where you can hear it. Special thanks to you for giving us the opportunity to sit here and yell about Star Wars. <laughs> this has been Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this <laughs> this is the, one of the coolest things we get to do, and it's all because of you. We want to hear from you, though. Uh, have you been in on this Thrawn stuff? Because I've been desperately looking for more people to geek out about it with. Please reach out to us. There's all kinds of ways that you can get a hold of us. Yeah, you can always send us an email at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And you can always go to our website, geektop5.com. You've been listening to Geek Top 5, and we'll talk to you again in just a couple weeks. Till then, please stay tuned.